Paul? Thanks, Paul. How you guys doing? Good, good. Um, well, it's nice to be here. It's always uh, a privilege for me and something I look forward to. Uh, even just coming to chapel every once in a while is, uh, is a joy for me. My memories of college days here at the Master's College are good. Many of those days were spent right here in this room in chapel. And so it's nice to be here with you guys this morning. Uh, I want to say thanks to Scott and thanks to Chris Holowati, too. Uh, Chris uh, is on staff with us over in the college ministry at Grace Baptist. Many of you, I know, are joining us over there. And I just want to say a special word of thanks uh, in kind of a unique way. Uh, as Master's College students who are a part of any local church, uh, I would speak on behalf of all pastors and let you know how much, again, we appreciate your investment and your contribution to the ministries that are going on in these churches. I know in the college ministry at Grace Baptist, those of you who are involved in that, I really appreciate your faithfulness and your involvement there. You, you help a great deal in what we're trying to do there with those who are our local collegians. And I just want to say thanks for all of you who are involved. It's great getting to know you, and we're having a good time. And uh, again, I just wanted to let you know how much you're appreciated over there. Before we get into the fruit of the Spirit, and uh, I think this morning we're going to be talking about kindness and goodness as you continue in the series, as we continue this morning in that series. But I figured, hey, every time I get a chance to come to the college, uh, I figured before we get into the message, I'll just share with you, uh, I did it last time I was here, and I'll just do it again. I'll just share with you a good old, you know, a good old days master's college story. Is that okay? Can we do that? Uh, I had so many great times here at the college as a student, and uh, whenever I come back, again, my mind's just flooded with memories of good times had. And uh, i got to tell you a story about uh, me and a guy I think probably most of you, probably all of you know. He was my roommate in college, one of my best friends, uh, was the best man at his wedding. He was uh, the same at mine, and uh, his name's Scott Artavanis. You know Scott? College pastor at Grace Community. Great guy. We played basketball together. Right in this room, we lived up in Hotchkiss 202, right on the end, and uh, we just had a wonderful time here. Two first two years, it was LABC, and then the last year that I was here, it was the Masters College in '86. But uh, unbelievable thing happened. Our very first year here, and you can just file this one under uh, uh, in your illustration file. You just want to file this one under guarding your tongue, uh, the danger of the unguarded tongue. It was, uh, it was hilarious. We were uh, brand new here at the campus, playing basketball, young guys, having fun, just your normal 19, 20-year-old you know, young men, red-blooded, you know what I mean, having a great time and uh, playing basketball. It was about October or November of that first year here, and uh, we didn't know many people when we came. The campus uh, wasn't that large then, maybe 350 students total, and uh, we noticed... I think we first noticed it here in the gym and during basketball practice and stuff. All of a sudden, people weren't talking to us. Our own teammates started to, like, ignore us. We would uh, be in practice, and they wouldn't say much to us. We would be, you know, back in the back getting changed afterward, and all of a sudden we would realize that we'd be alone, and they wouldn't be there, and, and they'd be gone, and nobody waited for us to go to dinner anymore. And it was really weird. And then we started noticing up in the, in the cafeteria where wherever we'd go sit down, nobody would sit with us. And, uh, and it, we, we started to realize it. And we, we, we'd go to the library and sit down at a table and all of a sudden people would leave. <laughs> we'd go in the dorms and, you know, we'd, we'd wake up in the morning and kind of, you know, bump our way down the hall like you do and go into the bathroom to kind of get ready for the day and poof, it would empty. And after a while we're going, what's going on here? This is really weird. And uh, 
And then it really hit us one day. It was, uh, it was after practice one day. We were sitting back in the locker room. And uh, one of the guys on the team uh, said something. Uh, I forget what he said. Uh, but he was almost kind of rude and he took off. And we thought, hey, something's going on here. Well, before we know it, we get a, we get a call in our room from the, uh, the dean of students. At that time, his name was Don Hubley. And uh, Dean Don, as we call them, calls Ardo and I into his office one afternoon. We're thinking, what's going on here? So we go into Dean Don's office and we sit down. And uh, he was very nervous. He didn't know. You could tell he was struggling to figure out how to say what he wanted to say. And he just looks us in the eye across his desk and says, I need to ask you guys a question. And we're like, sure, fire away. What's up? He says, are you gay? <laughs> Ardo, said, Ardo says, what? Who said that? Ardo stands up. He's walking around the room. He's doing like, doing like this. And I just kind of lean over the desk and I look and I said, excuse me? He's, and he's taken, you know, he's, he's struggling. He says, guys, I, I, I'm very serious. You struggle, do you struggle with homosexual tendencies? And I'm thinking, he's talking about me? We were both dating tragedies. I mean, we were both just, it was just a slew, a trail of gals. I mean, it was horrible. We were jerks. I mean, but we weren't gay. And he was serious. There was a rumor going around the entire college. Our, the guys in the basketball team thought that. That's why they wouldn't be with us back there. The, the guys in the dorm, they thought that. And uh, the, everybody, everybody in the whole college thought we were gay. And we, we, were, we were mad, you know. Um, and Ardo says to him, you mean like really gay? You mean like, like in the same dorm room gay? And he said, yeah. And so somebody had, uh, we got to the bottom of it. And somebody had, uh, well, I transferred from San Francisco State. So that meant obviously I was gay. Um, somebody had heard us giggling in the room at night. I mean, give me a break. We're laughing. We're having fun. Um, and, and, you know, the fact is we were really good friends. We are. And we were then extremely close. And we didn't know anybody, really, so we would always be together around campus. And we really enjoyed our relationship. We're good friends. And uh, somebody saw me. Uh, we would race, you know, jocks, athletes. We would race from the bottom of the hill up to Hotchkiss, you know, steps and the whole thing. And we'd always race. And he was a lot faster than I was. And so I'd always pinch his back of his leg, you know. And somebody saw me do that one time. So San Francisco, pinching the leg, giggling in the room. And uh, somebody saw us coming down to the gym late one night after curfew. Excuse us, we're basketball players. We like to shoot hoops. But so anyway, somebody said, somebody started the rumor that we were gay. And before you know it, the whole college thinks we're, uh, you know, weird. So next time you see Ardo, just ask him how he's doing. <laughs> the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, I believe, is where you've been. What are they? What are the fruit of the Spirit? What are we talking about as we talk about the fruit of the Spirit? I would suggest to you this morning that they are the characteristics. And I'm sure maybe you've been through this briefly. Let me just kind of bring us back up to speed. They are the characteristics, the lifestyle qualities, 
the attitudes, actions, and mindset of one who willfully submits to the law of God and governing power of His Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, the marks or qualities of one whose heart and soul are truly yielded to the control of the Holy Spirit. And today as we continue in your study of the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians chapter 5, as we talk about your willingness and mind to walk in the Spirit in contrast to the choice that you or I would make to walk in the flesh, we're going to look at two more of those character qualities, two more of those attitudes, two more of those attributes that Paul assigns to the one who is led by the Spirit. We're going to look at the phrases there. You see kindness and goodness. Kindness and goodness. The two words are so closely linked, okay, in their meaning. I mean, even as I just say the words kindness and goodness, I know they sound alike and they are. The two words are so linked together in their definition and in their meaning, they're oftentimes just used interchangeably. But we're going to do our best this morning to highlight for you and identify some of the specific differences. There are some. And we're going to do our best to highlight a few of those specific differences in the word, uh, in the words. And we'll start this uh, with a simple definition of kindness. What does it mean to be kind? What is Paul talking about when he says that your life as one led by the Spirit will be marked by the quality of kindness? It is simply this. It is a sincere desire. I'll make this simple. It is a sincere, heartfelt desire for the well-being of another. It is your sincere, my sincere, heartfelt desire for the well-being of another. It is, a, it is an attitude. It is a caring demeanor. Kindness is a sincere attitude. Goodness, follow me here, goodness is the activity or movement initiated by you or I to ensure that the well-being is accomplished. Did you follow that? Kindness is the attitude. Goodness is the action that carries it out. Jerry Bridges, in his book, The Practice of Godliness, says this. He says, I tend to think of kindness in terms of our awareness of those around us and the thoughtfulness that we can express to them almost without thinking. Kindness may be as simple as a smile to a store clerk. Kindness may be as simple as a thank you to a waitress, a teller, or a gas station attendant. Kindness may be as simple as an encouraging word to one getting on in their years. You may want to just say hi to Kelly Sanfilippo next time you see her. Kindness is an encouraging word of recognition to a small child. She's a good friend. She knows I'm just kidding. But watch this. But they do require... Whether it's a smile, whether it's a simple hello, whether it's an encouraging word, they do require a sincere interest in the happiness of those around us. Apart from God's grace, most of us naturally tend to be concerned about whose responsibilities? Ours. Most of us tend to be concerned about our problems, our plans. But the person who has grown in the fruit of kindness has expanded his thinking outside of himself and his interests and has developed a genuine longing for the happiness and well-being of those around him, end quote. It's a sincere interest, folks. It's not this, it's not this hi, how you doing, shaking hands, patting on the back, you know, got to stop and have 30 conversations between Hotchkiss and the cafeteria. 
that's generated more out of insecurity and a, and, a, and a concern about how I look or how people perceive me. It's a genuine, genuine interest in the, in the, in the lives and that has others' well-being uh, in mind. It's a sincere interest for the well-being of those around us. Goodness, on the other hand, involves deliberate deeds that are helpful to others, deeds of thought, deeds of sensitivity, and sacrifice. Again, the idea behind goodness is action carrying out the idea of kindness. Let's take a minute and look a little bit closer. If you want this morning, we're going to try and discuss a few things about kindness first of all. And I want you to keep in mind as we do this, and this will kind of be our starting port, our starting point for our look at kindness. I want you to keep in mind something that I was reminded of this week as I looked at these things. I, I hope that in your life and I hope in mine, again, as we pursue our, our Christian lives together, that we remember that foundationally, foundationally as you pursue the Lord and as I pursue Him, it should be your desire in mind that we be like who? That we be like Him. That we be like Christ. That our lives, that our attitudes, our sincere interests, and our actions that carry them out, that all of that would be in the end uh, able to be seen as you and I being like our Lord. And so I wanted to just start there briefly this morning and ask you the question, ask myself the question, and see what we found. Uh, what do we see in the life of Christ? What do we see in the Word of God? What do we see from our Lord that would evidence a, a challenge for you and I to be like Him? Was He kind? Did He talk about kindness? Did He set that forth as something to be pursued? Did He model that for you and I? I think He did. And I want to remind us this morning of a few places where we see that. Uh, you don't have to turn there, but in Luke 6, and I want you to listen. Listen as we go through some of these passages, and I want you to to pay attention and see if you see a pattern that develops as we look at God's Word and we see examples of kindness. That's all I'm going to say. I just want you to see if you sense a pattern um, in the Word of God. Luke 6, Jesus said that God is kind to the, un to the ungrateful and to the wicked. Luke 6, Jesus said that God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Look at Romans chapter 2 flip around a little bit here. Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2 verse 4 says, Or do you think lightly, or do you think lightly of the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? It says there that His kindness, that his kindness leads sinners toward repentance. Ephesians 2.7, you can turn there if you like real quick. Ephesians 2.7, where the Apostle Paul describes the utter lostness of the unregenerate man. What's it say there? Ephesians 2.7, actually in the verses prior to 7 there is where he talks about verse 3, among them too we all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, and raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, verse 7, in order that in the ages to come He might show the surpassing riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He speaks of the incomparable riches of God's grace expressed in His kindness 
to you and I, undeserving, unworthy people. And in the same vein, after describing our lost condition in Titus 3, you might want to just jot that down. Titus 3, after communicating again and describing uh, the status of those who are helplessly lost, he declares, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. When the kindness and love of, of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. And I hope you see the pattern there. I hope you picked up on what I was trying to get you to see. I think as we read those passages, and we could look at four or five others, the Word of God goes to great lengths. It doesn't hesitate in any way to portray the kindness of God in stark contrast to what? Man's total and absolute unworthiness. Man's total and absolute undeservedness. And it's a simple yet profound point of application this morning for you and I, folks. Your kindness, the sincere interest for the well-being of others in your life, the way you express that, the way you go about communicating that, it should be no less than the way it was for Him. It should be no different than the way He approached it. The Word of God goes to great lengths to show you and I that the way God functioned and the way the Lord functioned and the way He operated, there was, there was no distinctions. Kindness was given. Kindness was offered. Kindness was expressed. Regardless. Regardless. Your, the quality of your kindness and mine. Just a simple fact. The quality of your kindness and mine should never be measured. I don't... If we're talking about measuring the genuineness of your kindness, I'm not so much concerned about how you treat your best friend, right? I'm concerned about how you treat the knucklehead down the hall who plays the music too loud. I'm concerned about how you deal with that person who for some reason just kind of agitates you. I'm concerned about how you deal with that difficult person in your life. That difficult person that comes across your path. There is where we want to look at the quality of your response. There is where the quality of kindness will be determined in your life and mine. Kindness like love, as R.W. Mackey shared with you on Monday. Kindness like love cannot be based on the worthiness or performance of another. It is to be an unconditional choice. Here's what happens. Again, I would guess in your life, I know what happens in mine. You know, I see it oftentimes as I deal with and am involved with young married couples over at the church. We begin to view things like kindness, or we begin to view things like love. And what happens is we begin to view that through kind of a horizontal grid. We begin to make the decisions or not make the decisions to exercise the fruit based on what's happening with you and others horizontally. In other words, um, you expect me to be kind to this individual. Do you understand what they do? Do you understand what they're like? Do you understand how they impact me? Do you understand the things that they are involved in? Do you understand how they treat me? This guy's a jerk. This guy's rude. This guy's he's, he, he's unkind. And you're calling me. You see what goes on there. And, and maybe, maybe not to that extent all the time, but I know you face it. I know I sit with couples. I sit with married couples. And now it's a little bit more serious. Now we're married. And you get a gal and a guy sitting in an office and the guy going, you're, you're, you're telling me to lead? You're telling me to sacrificially give myself? Kelly, you don't live with her. You don't see what she does to me. You don't see how she treats me. You don't see how she responds when I try and do that. It's impossible. She's rude. 
She's domineering. And we can flip-flop it, and I can tell you stories where the lady's saying the same thing. You call me, you're telling me to submit to this man? You don't live with him. You don't know how he treats me. What's going on there? It's difficult, I know, but it's horizontal. We're viewing commands of God. We're viewing things that God has called you and I to through a horizontal grid. We're, we're, we're basing our willingness at times to, to function in that light based upon what's going on here instead of what's going on where? Here. Vertical. Horizontal equals failure, folks. Vertical is what God has called you and I to. I'm not saying be kind to that difficult person in the dorm because somehow they're going to be worthy of that or somehow they're going to, they're going to convince you that, that you should be that way to them. I'm telling you to be kind because God's Word tells you to be. God's Word says this is a, a product of one who's walking in the Spirit. I'm telling you to love people unconditionally, not because they, they earn it or deserve it or you deem them worthy, but because vertically, in your relationship with God, between you and who? Just Him. Not based upon what they do or what, they, what they're like, but just based upon what's going on in your life and your heart between you and Him, He calls you to pursue certain avenues. Kindness, again, fits in real clearly there, I think. I know at times it's difficult, but I think what makes it even more difficult at times is we begin to view our willingness to function in that light based upon what's going on around here instead of what's being cultivated here between you and your Lord. Luke 6.35 says it really clearly and really powerfully, folks, if you, t- if, you, if you look real closely at what it says. Luke 6.35 says, But love your enemies. Great way to start out a verse. Challenges me. It convicts me. He says, But love your enemies. Do good to them. And lend to them. So not only love them, Not only do good to them, but even give them money, is the context here in Luke 6. Lend to them. Love your enemies. Do good to your enemies. And lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Nothing. We don't express kindness, folks, because of of worthiness or merit. And we don't express kindness expecting anything in return. We express kindness because in in the depths of your soul and mine, hopefully... There is being cultivated a personal relationship with Christ that seeks to respond to that relationship in the light that He has chosen. And He calls you and I to be unconditionally kind, expecting nothing in return. One author that I read this week said this. Just a simple phrase, but he brought up an interesting word. He said that we need to develop a kind disposition. I don't know what that word means says to you or means to you. He says we're to develop a kind disposition to be sensitive and kind to those in our life. Disposition. I read that word, and again, I don't know what comes to your mind, but I think disposition. Someone's going to say to me, but, but Kelly, wait a minute. Disposition, that's kind of like just kind of how I am, right? That's kind of like my, my personality. It's kind of like just the way I was made. you know. And to tell you the truth, dispositionally, I'm just not a real kind person. I'm kind of uptight and I'm kind of on edge and you know I can be kind of a jerk. I'm just kind of that way. Disposition, right? Kind of the way we just naturally are. This guy's saying you've got to have a develop a kind disposition, and some might be thinking, well, but wait a minute, disposition is just kind of the way I'm naturally made. Well, I disagree with that. I hope you do too. I disagree with that. I think your disposition 
I think the way, I think my disposition, the way we carry ourselves, the way we respond in personality. Yes, I do believe there are certain traits and tendencies. One would be more aggressive, one would be more passive. There are differences, I, I agree with that. But generally speaking, in an overall context, your disposition, I believe, is a matter of choice. I really do. It's a matter of choice. I'm in a bad mood. Well, I understand that, that there are things in your life and mind that would lead us in that direction. But ultimately, please don't forget, and I'm sure it's just a reminder, disposition is a matter of choice. It's illustrated best in my mind by what goes on uh, in our home. My wife, Kebra, and I are uh, enjoying the blessings and the challenges of raising a son. And his name's Russell T. Uh, Russell Tyler. We just call him Russell, Russell T. We call him a lot of things, actually. Um, and we're working very hard with Russell. We're, we believe that it is a, a real privilege that God has given us to try our best to write, to, to, to write figuratively speaking, on the, the tablet of his heart, to write in his soul, on his soul, the law of God, to try and bring into his life certain understandings and certain principles, to try and model for him and, and, and inject into his life a sense of accountability and a sense of, of love and respect for authority. And we don't do a perfect job, but we try our best. And one thing that we've been working on a lot harder recently is this idea of, of choice and this idea of disposition and, and even this, this idea of kindness. And uh, it's a challenging thing. He'll be, um, he'll be sitting on the, in, the, in the living room on his special big pillow, and he'll be watching uh, the greatest movie ever made for kids, if you asked him or if he could talk to you and tell you about it. It's uh, The Little Mermaid. He just loves it. He loves it. I, I actually think he may be starting to struggle a little bit with Ariel. I, I'm, I'm kind of worried about him. He gets this kind of glazed look on his eyes, and he just he says Ariel all day long. And So we're trying to move away from Little Mermaid maybe to something else. I don't know. Um, 101 Dalmatians or something safer. But he just loves the Little Mermaid. Kebra will walk up to him and say, Russell T., it's time to, time to, not, time to turn off the movie. He'll kind of do that and <laughs> throw his hands on the pillow. That, that kind of attitude, right? The cheeks go up and the eyes get real squinty. He'll look at his mom and say, No, Mommy, no thank you. And, and he's polite at least, right? But it's, that, it's the attitude. And she'll say, No, Russell T., you need to, we need to turn off the video. And he knows how to do that now. It's really cool to watch him kind of reach up and pop the eject button. And he knows how to do it. But um, he has an attitude. And he starts to fuss and whine. And he says, no. And you know what happens to him at that point? What happens to him at that point, and if it's her, she does it. If it's me, he gets told to go back and sit on Dad's bed. And he knows what that means. And you're thinking, man, that's a little harsh, isn't it? No, I don't think so. I really don't. I don't think it's harsh at all. And he knows what that means. He knows that going back and sitting on Dad's bed means that Mom and Dad are going to go and get the, the rod of discipline, you know, a little spanker, and he's going to get spanked. And when I sit down with him, and when she sits down with him, we make it a point, and here's my point, to look him in the eye, and he's heard it enough now to where he knows. I look him in the eye, and I say, Russell T., Daddy asked you to turn off the TV. And what you did was unkind and disrespectful. That's a bad choice. You need to have, what? A happy attitude. 
you need to have a happy attitude. And I smile a little bit, you know, happy attitude. <laughs> and he smiles and says, okay, Daddy, you know, I get down now. No, you sit still. And I, and I spank him. I spank him and it hurts him and it hurts me and, and it's true. It really does hurt. But then we go out and you know what happens? Again, maybe somewhat often, not always, is the next time mom says it's time to turn off the TV, time to turn off Little Mermaid. And he kind of... He gets up and he goes up <laughs> and he presses the off button. And what does Kevra say? Good choice. Right? Good choice. He had a good attitude. Kind disposition. I know it's tough when you get your, your movie turned off. I know it's tough when things go horrible, horribly for you in life. But folks, kindness, that disposition, that willingness to have others' well-being at the center of your heart and soul is a choice that you and I have to make. Goodness. Remember, it is the action which one initiates to see the well-being of another accomplished. It is the action which one initiates to see the well-being of another accomplished. It is kindness realized. Psalm 139.16 says, you don't have to turn there, you can write it down if you want. Psalm 139.16 says that basically before you and I were born, before we were ever born, God prepared for you and I, what? Good works for you and I to accomplish Reminds you, reminds you of Ephesians 2, I would suspect. Look there, Ephesians 2. Of good works. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Maybe you could just say it with me. Uh, we, we all memorized it, maybe as kids, but it does say right there in verse 10, For we are His workmanship. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The word walk, the word walk there suggests, listen here, it suggests our common everyday experience. Did you get that? Our common everyday experience. Not the unusual, not the heroic. You're a nice common everyday experience. We all have the tendency to rise to the special occasions of life. We all have the tendency to do good when, when it's expected because circumstances call for it in a wonderful way. But God has created us to do our good works in the midst of the humdrum, everyday events of daily life for you and I. It was amazing to me. It really was how, how the goodness flowed and how the good works prevailed in the early morning hours of uh, January 17th recently. Did you notice that? Uh, all of, man, maybe you didn't here at the college because uh, you're all together and you know everybody's always good to each other here. But you know where we lived over in the condos there? It was amazing to see people who... For, I've lived, we lived there three years, and there's people that live around us who haven't given me the time of day for three years. Folks that never talk to you, folks that never speak to you, folks that they don't give a rip about you. And they just will go get their mail, go in their condo, and that's it. Amazing, all of a sudden, about 4.45 on the morning of January 17th, how concerned everybody was. It was nice, but it kind of struck me as odd how in the light of the big moment, when all of a sudden it's time to do good, you have folks all of a sudden saying things. Um, I can't. 
I myself have to condemn myself in that illustration. Um, and it was brought out to me pointedly. And what happened about uh, about 4:45, um, we got uh, we got shook big time in our condo. It was unbelievable, the most horrifying thing I've ever been through. And as I grappled and groped to get through the dark to my family and my wife, she had been out on the couch, and my son was back in his room, and we were all separated, and it was just it was horrible. We finally got together, we finally got out. And uh, Joel and Jen Miller, they live in our complex. And Wiley and Leah Kennedy, they live in our complex. And we all got together and we were walking out to the grass area where we were just going to, you know, sit and cry for a while. And right next door to us, upstairs in the condo, right across our balcony, um, and I had forgotten all about her in the midst of all that was going on, was a 79-year-old lady all by herself. She lives there all alone. And she's deaf. And she's weak, and she has a hard time getting around, and I never did know why she was by herself. Um, but I'll tell you what, in all honesty, over the last three years, I have walked by that lady. If I've done it once, I've done it 50 times. To my shame, with groceries in her hand, with packages in her hand, taking out the garbage, I've literally passed her on the sidewalk, getting to where, where I needed to go what I needed to do. That Monday morning, we're walking out toward the grass and uh, she's on the, on the landing of her stairs going up, absolutely sobbing, crying. She can't see five feet in front of her. She's deaf and she just got thrown all over her bedroom. And she's standing there in her nightgown, freezing cold, crying her eyes out. So what do I do? Well, I think it was Jen Miller and Leah Kennedy. They, they run up with me and I pick her up and put her over my shoulder and they grab her blanket and shoes and I carry her down, you know, real hero. People are saying, boy, we sure appreciate how you responded to helping that lady. Her son, who showed up later, lives over in Newhall, took her. I guess she communicated to him. He calls me the next week, you know, heaping praise on my heroic effort. What a sham. What a joke. Just reveals in me the same weakness that I would guess many of you feel at times too. That when it comes to what we're saying here, the everyday of humdrum daily living, God calls us to be willing to respond and initiate action that would see the attitude of kindness realized in the fruit of goodness. Hope you'll think about that. Most of our opportunities for good deeds will arise out of the course of our daily lives. The challenge is to be alert for these opportunities and to see them not as interruptions and not as inconveniences to our plans and our times and our agenda, but to see them as opportunities to involve yourself in and give yourself to the good works that God prepared before the foundations of the world for you to function in and give yourself to. They're not interruptions. They're not inconveniences. It's an occasion for doing good. A couple of things just to jot down. We're going to close up here in just a few seconds. A couple of things about goodness you may want to write down. Real basic stuff. Goodness is self-sacrificing. Goodness is self-sacrificing. It's willing to give up one's own plans or desires one's resources. But most importantly on occasion, you know what? I think goodness, when you get right down to the practical application of your life and mine, I think goodness oftentimes is a willingness to give up time. A willingness to give up 
time. And you know what? I know for you that time, like for me, it can be a precious commodity. It can be something that you know you need to guard. You need to hold on to. You need to watch. But I'll tell you what, at times there needs to be a willingness in your heart and mind to give it up. To let it go. Not knowing how you're going to get it back. Not knowing how it's going to impact the rest of your schedule. But I'll tell you what, there are times when I think opportunities for goodness would call you and I to be willing to give up time. It reminds me of the Macedonian Christians. 2 Corinthians, I think, chapter 8, verse 3 says that they gave beyond their what? Their ability. They gave more than they could. They gave more than they could probably figure out how they were going to deal with. They just They gave everything they had sacrificially. And just like them, the believer who wants to do good, who wants to practice goodness for others, will often have to give time and involvement he or she may not really believe they have. And let me give you one practical way. Something you could walk out of here with. Something you could think about during the course of this day or the rest of the week. One way that you might be able to sacrificially, in an exercise of genuine goodness, give up time. You know, the first thing that comes to my mind that you and I can work at and practice is being willing to, when the opportunities present themselves, and they do at times for you and me, to sit and listen. To sit down with a friend, to sit down with a a roommate, to sit down with one that you know who is struggling, grappling with the issues of their life, struggling, trying to work their way through the maze of some problem that they're experiencing. And you know what? You and I tend to, I'll speak for myself, too many times tend to see that situation. And we want to sit down with them and do what? Fix them. We want to give our little sermon. We want to give our little message. We want, to, we want to refer them to this book and that book. We want to do all this stuff. Listen for a bit. Figure out the plan. Communicate it. Call them to action. And folks, let me just help you out. There are, there are times when the best thing you could do to express real goodness is to sit down in a room or to sit down at a restaurant or to sit down somewhere and just keep your mouth shut and listen. And understand that without saying a word, an attentive heart and a listening ear communicates tremendous care and tremendous concern and tremendous goodness. A willingness to sacrifice time practically maybe a willingness for you and I to listen more. Goodness is not only self-sacrificing, but too, it is also untiring. Untiring. I know that's a challenge for me. And as you think about the quality of your goodness Maybe it is for you as well. Galatians 6, 9 says that they did not become weary in doing good. They did not become weary in doing good. It is one thing to do good in a few or even a number of isolated instances, me and the quake. It's quite another to face cheerfully the prospect of doing some particular deed of goodness day in and day out for an interminable period of time. Who knows when it will end? But there's a willingness in your heart and mind to day after day, week after week, month after month, in a specific situation, exercise goodness. That's that's quality goodness. That's genuine goodness that looks for the everyday opportunity. Last November, around Thanksgiving, well, actually Thanksgiving Day, uh, I had a crazy opportunity and I took I took them up on it. I can't believe I did it, but I went and played. In our high school, we had a big high school homecoming alumni football game up where I went to high school in the Bay Area. It was a huge, we had a huge football tradition at our high school. 
that were state champs of California. Well, ranked number one in the state for three of the years I was there, or the four years I was there. And uh, my senior year, we had an unbelievable team. And uh, three or four years prior, we were great. And then like the next seven or eight years, almost just as good. So it was like this dynasty. Well, to raise money for muscular dystrophy, um, they decided to have an alumni football game. Full contact, pads, helmets. You got 32-year-old guys out there. Uh, like me, foolish enough to do it. And it was a huge thing. To, uh, all over the community, they publicized it. TV was there. Thanksgiving Day noon, the big Saratoga Turkey Bowl alumni game. And I went back and we played, and it was just a, it was a blast. It was a riot. It was, uh, I was sore for three weeks, but uh, nobody got incredibly hurt. Uh, there, was, <laughs> there was a brawl. I'll tell you about it later. But uh, here we are, an alumni game to raise money for charity, and guys are getting in a fight. But an amazing thing happened. One of the local coaches in that area. You know what? In fact, he's been here before, I think. Charlie Wiedemeyer. Charlie Wiedemeyer is a coach that coaches there in town, another high school. And uh, he was there at the game. He's still alive. And he shouldn't be. He has defied all medical odds. He has absolutely baffled his physicians. Charlie, in 1980, when I was a junior in high school, was confined to a wheelchair with a debilitating muscular disease that's that left him absolutely helpless. He cannot do a thing except blink his eyes and move his lips. And he has a wife, and her name's Lucy, if if I'm remembering right. I think so. And uh, they were just a young, kind of middle-aged couple when all this happened. And slowly his life deteriorated, and she was left with basically an invalid. And we watched her then, the community and those around, and me as a 17-year-old junior in high school, we watched her commit herself, Christian family, strong believers, We watched her commit herself to the daily care of Charlie. She helped bathe him. She helped dress him. She helped put him to bed. She helped put him in his chair. She helped get him to the car. She helped get him to the doctor. She helped get him into the shower. The whole thing. Every day of her life. And that was in 1980. Let me help you out. Last Thanksgiving was 1993. Thirteen years later, Who knows why he's still alive, but there he is, uh, praying before the game in front of all these people in his chair, moving his lips about that much, blinking his eyes for certain syllables, and she's figured it all out, and they've developed a plan. Thirteen years later, and I just watched from a distance as we left the field that day. I watched her and him cruise over in his car that that she runs with a remote control deal, and I watched her go through the routine that she must have gone through up until that point probably thousands and thousands of times. And you know what was on her face? A smile. She kissed him on the forehead and got the kind of the lift in the back going. And I just thought, you know what? Unbelievable. I think I've got it tough at times. And here's a woman all by herself with this guy 13 years later. Every day. Dressed, bath, car, doctor bed, gets sick, she's there, vomiting, she's there, and he's, and he's absolutely provided for. And see, that, folks, to me, you no, know, you and I probably don't have that opportunity in your, in your life or mine every day, but you've got opportunities, folks, to be sensitive and aware of the needs of those around you and to respond day in and day out, not in the thrust of the heroic situation, but in the daily, daily avenues of life.
I wanted to take us to Matthew 25, but I'll just refer, refer you to it this morning. Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46. You know, it says in Hebrews 12 that without holiness, no one will see the Lord. It is not my profession of faith, but my holiness that proves the validity of my Christian experience. Well, you know what? Jesus' account of judgment, Jesus' own account of the judgment day is just as powerful and just as penetrating. Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46, it gives that whole scenario there where he, He calls the sheep to Himself. And he says that because they did certain things, what does it say there? Um, we'll read it to you real quickly. It says Matthew 25, verse, 30, uh, verse 34, Then the king shall say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to who? To one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. The test here, in, in Hebrews 12, the test is holiness. In, in Matthew 25, the test is good deeds. Feeding the hungry, giving water to the thirsty, clothing the needy, showing hospitality to the stranger, attending to the sick, and visiting those in prison. Jesus is teaching in that passage not that doing good deeds will somehow earn you a spot in the book of life, but that the doing of good deeds is just an evidence, a proof of the fact that you are saved and that you do have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Hebrews 12. The essence of Matthew 25 is that without goodness, no one will see the Lord. Both of these thoughts are sobering for me and I hope for you as you think and contemplate about your willingness. It says, folks, that as those who, who enjoy and experience a genuine relationship with Christ and as you yield your life to the Spirit, that your life will be marked by a sincere desire for the well-being of others and a plan, an initiative, an openness to seeing that well-being accomplished through your good deeds. And we'll close on a, on a, on a light note, uh, but a profound one. When you get discouraged, when you think about how tough it is at times to do good, uh, think about Acts chapter 9, verse 36. Uh, it says there in Acts chapter 9, 36, that there was this guy who was always doing good and feeding the poor. And you know what his name was? His name was Dorcas. And if a guy with the name Dorcas can do good, so can you, huh? Keep at it. Let's pray. Father, thanks for the time this morning, and we thank You that in Your Word we can look and so clearly see that the fruit, the evidence of our relationship with You will be some specific things, God, that we can by our own choice and initiative pursue. God, give us the grace and the strength to pursue these things aggressively. Thank You for these students. Thank You, God, for this college and the things that they're learning, the things that are being invested in their life. And God, I pray that in the weeks and months to come, they would be willing, continue to be willing, to take these things 
God, and make a difference in their world, make a difference in their dorm, make a difference in their church. And God, that part of that difference in their life and mine would be a willingness to be kind and a willingness to do good deeds, God, the deeds that You've prepared beforehand for us to do. In Your name I pray. Amen.